through verse 20. I'm kind of concentrating just in verses 14 and 15 as I was studying. I ended up having to break this message into two parts just so that you understand that. Welcome, welcome to Big Woods Bible Church. Um, uh, I see a number of our university students, college students home um, getting ready to celebrate and eat food with family. Um, welcome. It is good to see you. We missed you. A lot of you look more intelligent, more mature than when you left. Um, what, what, a, what an amazing privilege it was just through the, the blessings of technology. We were away last weekend and driving home on Sunday uh, just through technology, we were able to sit and watch a live feed um, of the worship service, and it was just so amazing uh, to be away while we're studying and introducing the Gospel of Mark to actually have John the Baptist here last week um, preaching. Um, thank you, my brother Matt, for that. Um, and when you think of it, I was, I think he... He kind of looks like John the Baptist. I think he kind of even talks like John the Baptist. But I don't want to push that analogy too much because the wheels immediately fall off. Who comes and speaks after John the Baptist? We're just not going to go there, okay? Um, This message has been um, heavy on my heart. I think, and and you and I know, um, the last week, Uh, We have been just riveted um, to the news in regards to what is is happening in this world around us. Um, To be perfectly honest, I've been somewhat even in shock, uh, and I don't think that's too strong of a term, uh, shock with how how Christians, how many Christians, and how the church has even responded to, to the dangers that are in this world around us. Um, I hear a lot of rhetoric, as long as we're safe, just keep ourselves safe. Um, and, and we're going to look this morning at the importance of following Jesus. If we really claim to follow Christ, we're to be one like Christ, I tell you what, it's not going to be a safe world. And I don't mean that to over-sensationalize, but... If you're going to follow Christ today, you're not going to be safe. And we have to kind of get that through our, our minds, and we have to understand that in the depths of our hearts. Um, so I just pray that, that God uh, open up your hearts this morning to hear uh, what He has in His Word, what I believe He's challenging all of us um, to do, who He's challenging us to be. Now, would you please just bow your heads and, and pray with me as, as I'm so grateful for um, the ministry already in worship, the special music that focuses on getting on our knees and going to the Lord. I appreciate even Drew's announcement reminding us of God's providence and that God is sovereign over all. He reigns over all. We need to be reminded of that. Let's bow before a sovereign God in prayer. Father, we are, we are humbled at this moment you've given to us. We, we get to, in your grace, just for this moment, um, we get to study your word. We get to sing loud. 
And we lift up the name of Jesus. We exalt His name, recognizing that it is through the work of Jesus that gives us hope, that gives us a reason to get up, that gives us a direction. Father, I just pray for um, us as a local church in our community. I pray for the vision you've given to us that in your timing and your way and your provision, you would enable us to accomplish what we trust um, you want, not what we want. I pray, Lord, for brothers and sisters across the world who are suffering as a result of following you. Father, I pray for those in this world that are, are fleeing in peril from dangers. Help us, Lord, to understand the responsibility that we have. I pray, Lord, for brothers in this community that are preaching the gospel. And I, I, Lord, I ask that you'd lift them up, encourage them, strengthen them, empower them. Help us, Lord, to see one another alongside um, of each other, not, not in competition. Father, I, I just rejoice uh, in what you're doing in the lives of so many and changing lives. Lord, enable us to do, to do even more for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The next couple verses, we will look at what I call the, the commencement, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, and we're also going to be introduced formally to the first official followers, to the, the introduction to the disciples of Jesus. And Lord willing, over these next couple weeks, we will be reminded what it means to truly follow Jesus. A lot of people would quickly identify, yes, I'm a Christian. Okay, we've heard statistics of three out of four people in America say, yep, I'm, I'm a Christian. It means one like Christ. But we have to ask ourselves this morning, and I don't care if you've been here since you were this little tiny one, you have to personally ask yourself the question, um, are you following? Are you living in a way that reflects the image of God. Um, I, I think it's interesting in history that Mao Zedong, the Chinese dictator, as a student, he was actually intrigued by Christianity. But it was after he met people who called themselves Christians that he was turned to Marxism and he wanted nothing to do with it. If, if they're the people that are like Christ, I, I, don't want to, I, don't, I don't want to be like Christ. It's interesting that Mahatma Gandhi was asked by a close friend, if you admire Christ so much, why don't you become a Christian? And Gandhi replied, he said, when I meet a Christian who is a follower of Christ, I may consider it. We, we realize that many people take the name Christian and we have not always done a great job in representing Christ. And let, let me tell you that, that I stand... In ahead of that line. That there's been times and seasons and moments in, in my life that I, I have done a pretty poor job through my criticalness or judgmental attitude or my impatience with others or my insensitivity. To be perfectly honest, there's been seasons of, of rudeness or mocking people. And, and, and yet I call myself and I've had to ask forgiveness and grow over periods of time. In its most basic form, understand Christianity is about following Christ. To follow Christ means that you will get onto a road that is less traveled 
than the majority of people. I want you to ask yourself some of these questions. Jesus Christ invested in people. He invested in people more than he invested in things and in stuff and activities and hobbies. Do you do that? Do do you invest into people? Jesus Christ grieved. He wept over the community. Do, Do you do that? Find yourself weeping out of the condition of souls that surround you? Jesus Christ surrounded himself with lost people. Do you do that? Or do you stay in the safety of this box of familiarity? Jesus Christ gave up his own will. Do you do that? I have to ask myself regularly, do I do that? Christ sent people away from him and they were on mission. They were on task. They understood what their job was. Do you do that? Christ embraced other cultures. Do you do that? Christ, Christ's entire vision was completely leveraged by prayer. Do you do that? There's this song, this old hymn that we grew up singing by, it was written by William Cushing back in the 1800s and, and, and it's follow, follow me. Down in the valley with my Savior I would go where the flowers are blooming and the sweet waters flow. Everywhere he leads me, I would follow, follow on, walking in his footsteps to the crown be won. Follow, follow, I would follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere, I would follow. You know that hymn that you've probably sung over and over and over? We've come to a place that that we actually believe, because someone pens that, that, that following Jesus is going to be strictly a life of protecting us and providing for us, which there is a portion of that. But does it mean that to follow Jesus, there's always going to be flowers blooming and sweet waters flowing? But wait, wait a minute. Now, now, who doesn't want Jesus' protection and, 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 and provision? Who doesn't want his eternal bliss and blessing? Yes, but in reality, to follow Jesus means that you have to choose to die to yourself. It is an invitation, according to Matthew chapter 16, what? To take up your cross. Which means what? To follow Jesus is dangerous. It really means it's, it's what? It's countercultural. To follow Jesus means that it's risky, it's costly. Yes, it can be, Lord willing, and we are to rejoice in the Lord always, a joy-filled journey. But, but, but it's more than that. Yes, without a doubt, Jesus gives to us peace that is beyond all understanding. But it's not without harm. It's not without pain or it's not without peril. Can, can you imagine right now our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering persecution in the, in the Sudan or in Syria or in Iraq or Iran or India or Afghanistan? Can you imagine them singing, He will lead me safely in the path that He has trod? The path that Jesus was on was not a safe path. 
And we have this idea of somehow this American imperialism that says that to follow Christ is just, we're, we're in this box of blessing. And it's not like that. The path that Jesus leads ultimately to eternal security. But until we get there, it can be rough sledding. Look at the text. Mark chapter 1, we begin in verse 14, and we kind of get a glimpse as far as what's happening here as Jesus commences his ministry. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. We get back to the text. We return to the Gospel of Mark where he concisely outlines what it means to follow. It's not, it's not one of ease. It's not one of comfort. It's not, a, it's not a following even of convenience. It's one of obedience. It's not a follow Jesus to, to ceremony or mysticism. It's not a following of, of dreaminess. It's completely opposite to that. What does it mean? I'm, I'm reminded of the German um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian and pastor. He was faced with Nazism, and he had to think about, as a Christian, how do you respond to that? And, and he, he says this, and I quote, When Jesus calls a man, we could say when Jesus calls a man or a woman, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the level that we're talking about this morning. Ultimately, we know that Bonhoeffer was martyred for his faith. So here's Jesus. He is what commencing his ministry. He's done living in obscurity. He leaves the well-known confines of home, of his carpenter shop. He takes his apron off. I don't know if they wore carpenter aprons then. He lays his, his hammer down. He hangs his saw up and he heads out on a mission. We know so far we've tracked. He's been obedient. He's been baptized. He's been anointed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He has been affirmed by his heavenly Father. As Matt reminded us last week, he was tempted and tested, and he passed the test. Tempted in like manner, just like we are, with physical hunger, with the hunger for pride, with the hunger for power, and he remained perfectly holy, untainted, untouched, set apart, pure, through the word, a God that we can trust. Number one, now we see the mission begins. It's a launching pad, so to speak. And his style here, remember Mark, immediately, 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 it's just get to the point. Mark's get to the point style grabs our attention. Now, after John was arrested, we're like, whoa, wait a minute. Wasn't John the Baptist just preaching at Big Woods last week? How did he get there? Wasn't John the Baptist eating bugs 
in the wilderness. Did we miss something? There's a part of the story that we're not exactly sure. Mark's style is what? It's not the details of when this happened, where it happened, how it happened. It's just the what. This is what happened. Now, we'll see later on in Mark chapter 6 a little bit more detail as he colors in the, 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 the rest of the story that speaks about the fact that Herod arrested John, put him in prison simply because he told Herod the truth. And Herod didn't like it. John the Baptist basically went to Herod and said, you know, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is sin. You're, you're sleeping with, you're having sex with your sister-in-law. It's wrong. Herod didn't like it, and so he arrested John the Baptist and put him in prison. But, but that's in Mark chapter 6. Right now it's clear that John had shouted the announcement. He made the introduction. He got the ball rolling, so to speak. But John exits, and Jesus enters. Now the messenger's job is accomplished. He moves aside for the Messiah. Interesting to note what I refer to as a strange collision of worlds here. John was arrested. What's the response? Jesus was proclaiming the good, the, the good news. Jesus was proclaiming the gospel. Now think about this for a moment. John is in jail. John's a good guy doing a good thing, and he gets put in jail. That's what we call bad news. That's not a good thing. In the midst of this bad news, it says that Jesus simply preaches the good news. We exist. We, what, suck air and take up space with a purpose. We exist to do exactly the same thing, what I call live out and give out the good news in a bad news world. And you know in the past week there has been, and we live in a world that is filled with bad news, not just the tragedy that took place in in Mali, the tragedy that took place in Paris, the tragedy that took place in, in Palestine. Uh, or, or we think about the fact that in the past week they have literally diverted planes because there's been bomb threats. Literally, soccer stadiums have been evacuated and emptied because there's more fear and there's more terror. How, how do we live in this? But let me remind you upon the authority of Scripture, a sovereign God, stop worrying and losing sleep over bad news. As we examine around, stop complaining about crooked politicians or biased liberal media. What's interesting is that Christians here who are supposed to what? We're supposed to travel on a road that is less traveled. Christians are the ones who are being grouchy and grumpy and complaining and forwarding nasty just words about how horrible the world is around us, about the radical Muslim extremists. How are we supposed to respond in this? We're We're to pray, we're to live, and we're to give the good news in the midst of all of that. I've actually, I've actually been quite struck with this concept that, that people are complaining that Starbucks 
is not celebrating Christmas. And, and Christians have like really made this, can you believe that Starbucks? And what we hear is that, well, Starbucks supports Planned Parenthood and Starbucks supports um, uh, same-sex marriage or marriage equality, whatever you want to call it. What, what people don't realize is that, that, that Starbucks actually, I'm not advocating, but we have to know what's going on. Starbucks, in a sense, does give to Planned Parenthood. Starbucks also gave to Gospel for Asia and Wycliffe Bible Translators. Did you know that? Did, did you realize that we hear one thing and we kind of race with this and run with this? When is it Starbucks' job to promote the gospel or the message of Christmas? That's not Starbucks. That's your job. In my job, I was actually at Starbucks recently, and they handed me a cup, and it's a plain red cup. I thought about that. Red. Red, the color of blood. Blood red. The color of the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross to redeem you and redeem me. And I was like, wow, thank you so much, Starbucks, for reminding us what Christmas is really about. Did you realize the idea as, what does it say in Scripture? Genesis chapter 50, as for you, you meant for evil against me. But God meant it for good. There is, in the midst of this darkness and this blackness around us, there is an amazing opportunity for you and I to speak out and to speak up for the gospel. Romans chapter 8 says what? May we know that for those who love God, those who love God, we know that, that God loves all of us, but only few of us love God. For those who love God, it says that all things work together for good to those who, who are called according to his purpose. We're called to follow. Wendy and I had dinner um, a week, about two weeks ago now, with a, a missionary couple, a young couple. They're missionaries in, in Kathmandu, Nepal. And, and they were there in Nepal in April uh, with their three young children when a 7.8 magnitude earthquake shook everything of where they were. And they were telling the story that, that she, she was there at home with the three kids. Her husband was out with some other pastors. They were up in the highlands. And, and there was a breakdown as everything was rattling and, and rocking around them. Buildings collapsed. There's mudslides, there's no power, there's, there's no water. Communication had been cut off. It was 11 hours before she could even find out whether or not her own husband was dead or alive. On top of that, Nepal is, is a country where there is extreme um, persecution and it's a Muslim country where there's hostility all around them. They live in extreme poverty. China's to the north, but, but the pathway was cut off through the earthquake. They couldn't get supplies from the north. India had shut its borders to the south, and they couldn't get any supplies from, from the south, and they're stuck there. Bad circumstance all over the place, terrified, everything broken and busted, collapsed around them. And do you realize that after they took about five minutes to describe that situation, they went on for the next hour to tell us what they're excited about, that, that, that six young women, 
had been rescued out of sex slavery and that they had offered jobs to and a place for them to stay that was safe. And they offered them food and they loved them. And they shared with them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what they talked about. For an hour they talked about, let me tell you about this young girl, what had happened to her, but yet how God has transformed her life through the good news. In the midst of all of that blackness, in the midst of all of that horrible sir, all they wanted to talk about was good news. That, that is what Jesus is doing. That's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do as we follow him. Now, we have perfected. We go back like to the Israelites and the Hebrews. We've perfected like those people of complaining. The Israelites constantly complained about the slavery that they were in. Remember the, how, how great it used to be? Remember we had fresh vegetables and we had gardens. Do, do you realize that God in his complete and sovereign plan allowed them to be in slavery to escape the famine that was in the land where every single one of them would have died? The, the messianic line, the line of the Messiah would have been cut off and end it had it not been for the bad news of their own slavery. Think of that. All things work together for goods. The perfect plan was fulfilled. In the midst of horrendous, horrible circumstances of slavery, God used the bad for good to come. As for you, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Listen to this. It ends with what? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. That's what God has called us to do. That's exactly the way that we are supposed to live. I was listening to uh, Russell Moore. I was reading a book, actually. Listen to this. Russell Moore says, in regards to how we're supposed to be following Jesus in the world that we're called to live in, the biggest problem is not that we lost the culture war, It's that we never really had one. He writes, political activist Alan Wolf points out that the the heated and outraged rhetoric of evangelicals in the political and media spheres is often directly related to the ineffectiveness of Christian distinctiveness in our living rooms and our pews. Of conservative Christians, Wolf writes, their inability to use their political power to lower the abortion and divorce rates instill a sense of obedience and respect for authority among teenagers, and urge courts and legislators to give special recognition to Christianity's power role in American religious life creates among them a perpetual outrage machine. While Wolf might be overstating his case, he's far from wrong. If the Bible Belt had held to truly radical sort of religious vitality, we ought to see regions with higher church attendance strikingly out of step with the rest of the country when it comes to marital harmony, divorce rates, sexual mores, domestic violence, and so on. We're not the culture warriors we think we are unless we're fighting for the other side. What he's talking about, the fact is that if we are truly following Jesus, we will live radically different. And Christians have perfected the rhetoric of condemning everyone else as opposed to following hard after Jesus. Holiness pervades when we follow Jesus. 
The mission of Jesus begins with a message. Here it is. The time is fulfilled. Interesting to note, I'm reading in the ESV. The New American Standard translates it. The time is fulfilled. King James says the time is fulfilled. New King James says the time is fulfilled. Holman Christian Standard, good Southern Baptist. The time is fulfilled. The only one that's a little bit different, the NIV says the time has come. Every word is the same. The word is pereo. It means an opportune moment. It means that everything has been accomplished. Today in our language, we would say what? It's time. It's ready. Jesus says it is time. It alerts to a prophetic timetable that is larger than what you and I see in front of us. We see like this. We see what's in front of us. God has a prophetic plan that is perfectly planned and executed. It's a reminder that, 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 that nothing that God ever does is an afterthought. He is never reactionary. Oh, no, there's a terrorist explosion. Now he has to. No, it's not like that. God knows exactly what is happening. He has a plan, and we see it unfold here. The time is fulfilled. The mission of Jesus begins with a message. Secondly, the message of Jesus begins with an announcement. What is it? The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, this is totally unlike any other kingdom. This is, this is countercultural in the sense what? It's a declaration of war against the existing culture. And this, this rattles and this bothers everyone. What Jesus is saying, the king has arrived. The one true king is on the scene. This king will rule. This king will reign. And we will learn very quickly that Israel did not want what the spiritual element of the kingdom. They want it as we want the physical element of the kingdom. We want safety and we want security and we want comforts. We want the, the, the power of prestige or the significance of influence. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, it's totally different. The kingdom of God is at hand and the message is what? He begins, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus Christ is making it very clear there is one way. There is one way to enter this kingdom. Repent and believe. We hear a lot today in the news about refugees that are fleeing oppression. And immigrants that that are arriving and and the need for stricter laws and and to vet everyone to come into this country or or any country. And we hear strong arguments. We've had governors and we've had uh, uh, candidates who have talked about the fact that what we need to do is just pull in and be safe as long as we're safe here. Now, there's no doubt that many people come into the country, um, some legally, many illegally. Some swim rivers or jump a fence or they come in with a false name or fast, false passport or, or false motive. But, but it's kind of confusing with how people come into a particular country. But what is interesting is that it's very clear how a person comes into the kingdom of God. It's very clear. There's only one way. 
You can't, you, can't, you can't swim a river. You can't jump a fence. You can't come in with a false ID. You come in very clearly, what? By repentance and belief. Do you realize as well that in the midst of that, we have a message to offer those who are in need of it? And the Christians are the ones who are saying, what? What, we just have to be saved? No. Perfect love casts out all fear. You and I have nothing to be afraid of. If people come to us, praise God people come to us because they need to hear how to get into the kingdom of God. Unless you're willing to go there, praise God they're coming to hear the message. Message of repentance, which means what? You have got to admit you have got to come to a place of confession. You've got to come to the place of recognition. Turn from your sin and turn to God. Jesus, in essence, is saying what? You come to me with nothing that you can bring on and of yourself. He preaches in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you think that you come to God with all these gifts... God's going to be so delighted that I've actually arrived at church. Everyone's going to be so excited that I can use my... Wait a minute. The gospel repeatedly shouts the fact that we have nothing in and of ourselves. It's a message of repentance, and finally, it's a message of belief. Repent and believe. The word believe means to accept as real or true. To credit with veracity. The word belief is defined as to trust or to have confidence and conviction in something. This is where the rubber meets the road and we ask the question in conclusion, do you accept the gospel as real? Have confidence and conviction in it. You personally. Not, not well, my dad does or my mom. No. Well, my, my, my wife does. Or my, no. Well, my elder does. Or my Sunday school. No. Do you personally have faith and have conviction and confidence in the gospel, the good news? God created you with a purpose in his image, but man fell. God loved. God came. God died. God defeated sin and death. God rose from, from, from the dead. God commissioned us. God empowers us. And God is coming again to get you and get me. That's really the message, the idea. I was struck this week, I was listening, as probably some of you were, to um, uh, the, the news. And, and, and someone was interviewing, um, he was a former intelligence officer in the United Kingdom in Great Britain. And they were asking him a question, like, how do we defeat this, this ideology of radical Islam? How, how do we defeat ISIS? How do we defeat this? And, and the man's response was, 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 was bang on. He, he said this, the only way to defeat this is from within. He said it's a matter of the soul. It's a matter of one's heart being changed. I thought it was interesting that it was accurate observation, but he offered no solution with how to change. You realize that you and I, as followers of Jesus, have the solution, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
where we live and we give the gospel, telling people, repent, there's nothing you can do and bring on your own and believe. And as we live every day, it will be a road that is less traveled. It will be a road that is dangerous, but it will be a road that is well worth it in the long run. Are you following Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us and empower us to follow you in always, especially right now in this time. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.